God is good. Amen. Amen, man. It's uh, what a blessing it is to worship the Lord corporately together as a church family and to just magnify him. So, man, it is really, really good to be here with you guys um, to uh, worship with you. It's been a month since we last studied through Luke's gospel account, so I want to take just a minute here to remind you of where we've been uh, before we get to our text and see where we're going. Lately in the gospel of Luke, we have been focusing upon Jesus' ministry in the northern region of Galilee. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he would go on different circuit tours throughout the land, and he ended up completing three different circuit circuit tours of the region of Galilee. And that's what we've been covering recently in our study through the Gospel of Luke. Chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 of the Gospel of Luke, they gave us the details of Jesus' three different circuit tours through the region of Galilee. Now, towards the end of chapter 9, we read of how the time had come for Jesus to be received up and how he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And the first village that he came to was one in Samaria. Jesus had sent messengers ahead of him to prepare the way, but the people of that village did not receive Jesus because his face was set towards Jerusalem. If you recall, uh, that's when James and John, uh, the sons of thunder, called out saying, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? And I can't help but think Jesus is just scratching his head saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with you guys? Um, the Lord quickly rebuked James and John, letting them know they didn't know what they were talking about, how their spirit was not in the right place. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to continue to see Jesus sending out messengers before him to help prepare the way for his journey ultimately to the city of Jerusalem, where he will eventually lay down his own life as a sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. Speaking of that sacrifice, at the close of our service, we're going to set aside just a few minutes to partake in communion together since we decided to postpone it from last week. Traditionally, we do it the first Sunday of the month. I talked with Perry and I said, hey, look, when I get back, I'll just do it. Uh, And so we're going to take some time at the end of our service to partake of communion together and to remember his sacrifice. So we've got a plate, full plate. Okay, so let's turn to the Lord and his word. Our text is going to be Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. And the title of our study this morning is going to be The King's Ambassadors. Okay, The King's Ambassadors. Will you all please rise to your feet in honor of God and his word? I'm going to read our text from my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Okay, If you're reading from a different translation, I want to encourage you to do your best to follow along. The word of the Lord for us this morning from Luke, the physician, begins in verse 1 of chapter 10 with the following. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. 
Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its street and streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and this opportunity that we have to open it up and allow it to speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that tells us that it is active, that it is living, that it will accomplish that which you send it forth to do. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have opened up our Bibles, Lord, that in like manner, our hearts, our minds, our ears would be open to receiving all that you desire to say to us, Lord, to that work you desire to do in us and through us. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We ask for your blessing, your continued presence, that you would lead us and guide us through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Now, our text this morning may sound a bit familiar to some of you. It was back in early January of this year that we read through a very similar portion of Scripture at the beginning of Luke chapter 9. Uh, There we read about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples into the surrounding area, into various towns and villages to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. And he gave to the 12, similar instruction as he does here in our text in sending out a separate group of 70 or 72 disciples, depending upon which translation you're reading from. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers to record for us this sending out of the 70. And so while this is a unique portion of scripture, we're going to see and note a lot of the same things that we noted previously in Jesus's sending out of the twelve. And my hope is that we will all listen with attentive ears and hearts for all the Lord has to say to us through his word this morning. That we wouldn't be like, oh yeah, this is, you know, just like what we talked about a couple months ago. Let's have a a fresh perspective and, and open hearts and ears for what he would say to us today. So with that, let's dive back into our text, taking a look at our opening verse, verse one. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. We're told about 70 others that Jesus sent out here in verse 1. Now your text may read 72 instead of 70. This has to do with varying source texts and how Bible translations put together their translations. Whether it was 70 or 72 doesn't really change any of the meaning or purpose in the sending of these followers of the Lord. So what do we know about these 70? Well, first of all, we want to note that these 70 were appointed by the Lord. 
The word appointed in the original Greek is an interesting word. It's only used twice in all of the New Testament. Here in Luke chapter 10, and then again in Acts chapter 1. There, Luke, who is also the author of the book of Acts, he uses this word again when recording how the eleven chose between Justice and Matthias as the disciple who would take the place of Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed the Lord and subsequently killed himself. In Acts chapter 1, verse 24, Luke states how they, speaking of the eleven disciples, they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen? The word show is the same Greek word that Luke used that's translated here in chapter 10 as appointed. The word carries with it the idea of uh, to lift up anything on high and exhibit it for all to behold. It, It was used to mark out something or someone to show plainly and openly for all to see. When Luke used it in Acts, the disciples were asking the Lord to make it plain and obvious to all, to lift up either Justice or Matthias for all to see and know which of them had been selected and appointed by the Lord. Here in chapter 10, it's used of the 70 whom the Lord singled out and made it obvious to all around that they were his messengers being sent out on his mission. Now, I think this is worth noting because I see in the 70 appointed, a picture of us, the church. You see, we too have been chosen by the Lord. We have been set apart by the Lord for the rest of the world to see. As followers of the Lord, there are people watching us. They are wanting to see what makes us different as followers of the Lord. Jesus told his disciples that we are to be the light of the world and that we are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And so we have been appointed as representatives of the Lord, as ambassadors, if you will. We are to be different from the world around us. We are to be set apart for God and his kingdom, just like these 70 were. Well, not only were these 70 appointed, but we also read of how they were sent out by the, by the Lord. The word sent is the Greek word apostello. It's the verb form of the Greek noun apostole. It's where we get our English word apostle from. Now, these 70 were not apostles as in the 12 apostles, Okay, those were unique individuals that served in a special office that was for those who were eyewitnesses of the three years of earthly ministry Jesus had been a part of. However, they are apostles in the sense that they were appointed and sent out by the Lord. You see, the word apostle simply means one sent out on a mission. Those 70 were indeed sent out on a mission by the Lord. And so in the generic sense of the word, they were apostles ones sent out by the Lord on a mission. They weren't the same as the 12 apostles, but they served in a similar function in being sent by Jesus. You know, in like manner, we too have been sent. God has chosen us, he's called us, he's appointed us and sent us out into this world to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives. We all have a mission field that God has sent us into. God has strategically placed us somewhere to accomplish a mission for him to spread the gospel message to the world around us. 
You know, some of you have been sent into the military and God has a mission for you to accomplish while there. Some have been sent into the schools, into the workplaces, okay, into communities around you. Many of you have been called into the mission field of parenting. And trust me, okay, your family is a mission field. Okay? We have a responsibility to raise up our children in the ways of the Lord as described in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Some of us are in multiple mission fields. We're ministering to family, friends, co-workers, and the like. And I think the fact that we have been sent is undeniable. And I believe the question then we must consider is not whether we have been sent, but are we being obedient to go? You know, when God was preparing to send my wife and family here to Iwakuni, I have to admit to you that I wasn't really excited about answering the call and being obedient to where God was sending me. I loved it in Okinawa. We were in Okinawa uh, for 10 years. I loved being the second. I was the right-hand guy there. I had been doing that job for 10 years. I loved it, and I never wanted it to change. I dare say it was easy, and I just really liked it. I was very comfortable. Then God started shaking things up. He was preparing my family and I to be sent, but I was hesitant at first. And I still remember the day my pastor called me into his office and told me about the opportunity to come here to Iwakuni. He asked me to pray about it and felt like maybe God was doing something new and exciting. And I remember telling him very distinctly, I don't need to pray about it. This is where God's called me. God hadn't called me, God hasn't called me to be a senior pastor. He's called me to be here to help you. But the truth of the matter was that God was sending us. He had prepared us. Okay, and he had appointed us, appointed us. I was just not willing at first to obey and to go. I went home and I told Pharaoh about the opportunity and how I told Rick, our pastor, that I didn't need to pray about it. And she, being the loving and supportive wife that she is, she rebuked me and told me uh, that I better pray about it and I better speak to the Lord about it and be sure. And, and so I did. And as, as I committed to praying, you guys know what happened. Okay? The Lord confirmed over and over again that this was his doing, that he was calling us, that he was sending us, how I needed to be willing to go and continue to be used by the Lord in this new adventure, in this new season. Let me ask you, what has God called you to? Where has he sent you? And are you being obedient to go? to be his ambassador, to be his representative. Can you, like Isaiah, declare before the Lord, here am I, send me, that we would be open and willing to what God has for us. I do hope and pray that we are being obedient to the calling and to the place that God has sent each of us. Well, Jesus appointed the 70, and then he sent the 70. And note with me how he sent them. He sent them two by two. He sent them in groups together. God isn't looking for lone rangers to go out on their own. He wants us to be sent out together, to partner together with others. Now, we aren't specifically told why Jesus sent the mountain pairs, okay? But I can think of a couple of different solid reasons why he would do so. 
For one, there's built-in encouragement and support when you partner together with someone else. When things may not go as planned, you can lean upon one another and support one another through the difficulties and through the challenges you will face. Two, well, there's built-in accountability. You're more likely to stick to the mission if you have someone else there keeping you accountable and on mission. Also, if anyone wanted to try and attack you or your character, you would have someone there to help you stay above reproach. They would help keep you accountable and say, hey, no, that's not true. This other person here can you know, validate. Another benefit of being sent out in pairs is that we are able to complement one another. Okay, We are not gifted all the same. We have each different giftings different talents, different strengths, and different weaknesses. By going out in pairs, you can complement one another and operate within the various strengths God has given. And so we can see there are a number of benefits of being sent out in pairs. Jesus sent out the 12 in pairs. Jesus here sends out the 70 in pairs. And I believe it serves as an example for us to follow. Listen, We are meant to partner together with one another and serve the Lord together. None of us are called to do it all by ourselves, to do it all alone. We need each other. This is the beauty of the church. We are meant to encourage and edify and serve one another together. When we are doing our part in the ministry of the body, then the body is healthy and strong and able to do all that the Lord desires for us. May I encourage you? Please get involved. Please step up and become a part of the work God is doing here at Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni. God hasn't called any of us to be spectators. We are all ambassadors, chosen, called, appointed, and sent by the Lord. Let's be faithful to answer the call and step up into all that the Lord has for us. Well, the remainder of verse 1 tells us about where he was specifically sending these 70. He was sending them into every city and place where he himself was about to go. They were the forerunners going before the Lord to prepare the way for his arrival. Let's continue looking at the instruction that Jesus gave to these 70 as they were appointed and sent two by two. Read with me verse two. It says, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus gives a series of imperatives in the rest of our text, commands detailing for the 70 what they were to do as they were being sent. And the very first command that he gave them had to do with prayer. Jesus said, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Jesus was saying that the work ahead of them was plentiful. There were all sorts of people ripe and ready to receive the message they were to proclaim. And so, Many who were ready to receive the kingdom of God and, and, and join with the Lord, it was amazing. So he's saying, hey, there's lots of people that need to hear this message, lots of, lots of people that are right. However, though the work was plentiful, though there were an abundance of people ready to receive, the laborers were few. Again, the people were ripe for the picking, but there just weren't enough people to gather the harvest in. There weren't enough people willing to do the necessary work to bring people into the kingdom and to be added to the kingdom. And so Jesus commands them to pray. 
before they were to go out and do anything else, first and foremost, they were to pray. Pray that God may send others alongside them to partner together with them in the ministry of harvesting souls for the kingdom of God. You know, I think far too often that prayer can be left to a last-ditch effort when we have exhausted all of our own resources and all of our own ideas when it comes to getting people to partner together with us in the work of the ministry. You know, we've been announcing our need for help in the children's ministry, specifically for elementary teachers and helpers for a number of weeks, okay? And I meet with Mrs. Salema, our children's ministry director, and our ministry staff on a weekly basis, and she tells me of how they are, they are shorthanded and how we have to combine classes together and how certain people are having to serve both services and they aren't able to come to worship service. And it's tough to hear that, okay? And I think to myself, man, you know, with the number of people that are calling this place home, we ought to have enough people who are willing to partner together with us in the ministry of reaching our kids for the gospel, You know, there ought to be enough of us who are willing to partner together with parents who have been called to raise up their children in the ways of the Lord. You know, sometimes I think, oh, maybe we need to do some sort of ministry awareness event or maybe look to, you know, hire some more help or maybe do a ministry fair where we, you know, highlight all the different ministries and and let all the body know, here are your opportunities to serve and, and let's get everybody, you know, drum up the support for people to serve and get involved. I was convicted as I read this portion of Scripture. You know, before we do any of those things, we need to collectively commit to going to the Lord in prayer and beseeching the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I was reading it ahead, and I thought it's so timely considering our shorthanded situation in our children's ministry. I thought, okay, this is going to be a, a great message to, you know, stir the body, to respond to the, to the need. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. You know, I can really truly hit that home and, and maybe we'll get some people to respond and finally stop having to ask for help every Sunday during announcements. But the Lord showed me that what was most important is the therefore that follows that statement. Yes, the harvest truly is great. And yes, it is true, the laborers are few. But what are we to do then? We are to pray for the Lord of the harvest. We are to bring this matter before the Lord and allow Him to lead and guide and work on the hearts and lives of His servants and stirring their hearts to respond to join the other laborers working in His harvest. Listen, this is God's church And we need to trust that he knows what is going on and that he is going to provide for his church. He knows those servants that are having to serve both services. He knows those servants who haven't been able to make it to worship service because they've volunteered to minister to the body. He knows those servants who are available and capable of meeting the call. And we must trust that he will put it upon their hearts to respond. Okay? We have to trust in the Lord to meet our needs and faithfully bring our needs before him in prayer. And so church body, can I implore you, can I invite you to pray with us, to pray for our needs and that God might send more laborers into his harvest. And as we collectively pray, I trust that God will work. Let's continue in our text and note a few more imperatives the Lord had for the 70. Verse 3, it says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. After Jesus told the 70 to pray, the next imperative was to go. 
And I love this picture. Jesus tells the 70 first and foremost, before you do anything, pray. Pray and ask God to send more laborers into his harvest. And the next command that he has to say is, go. So often I found that when we truly take the Lord's commands to heart and we begin to pray, that we will find that God is prompting us to go and to be the answer to that prayer. And I want to clarify and note something important here as well. It was the 70 laborers that were called to pray for more laborers and who subsequently went. Unfortunately, I think, please receive this in love, okay? Too many Christians are praying for somebody else to go. Too much, praying for someone else to, to, to go and be part, uh, to basically do the job that they're unwilling to do themselves. And they think, that's my part, I'm just going to pray, I'm going to pray. And it's like, well, no. Your part is not just to pray, but to pray and then go to pray and then be part of the answer to that prayer. As they go, Jesus tells them to behold. That's the next command and imperative, to watch out, to pay attention. He reminds them that, that the calling that he has for them is a dangerous one and that they need to be on the lookout, to pay attention, to watch out for the enemy. Listen, don't be surprised or shocked when the enemy takes notice of you and tries to attack when you start to stand up for the Lord and answer the call to pray and go. As we are obedient to go, we are going into enemy territory. We are crossing over to the enemy's front lines and we are trying to take as many with us to the Lord's side as possible. And so don't be surprised to encounter dangers as you enter enemy territory. Jesus was sending them out as lambs amongst wolves. And listen, lambs don't stand a chance against wolves when they're all by themselves. But if they have a shepherd watching over them, they are safe and secure, even though there are wolves throughout the land. We have the great shepherd who is watching out over us. And so, though we may be lambs being sent out amongst wolves, we must not forget that the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, is the one that's sending us. He is the one that is going to watch over us as we go in obedience to his voice. As we follow the voice of the great shepherd, he leads us to where we need to be. Jesus declared in John chapter 10, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Later on verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. You see, we may be sent out as lambs amongst wolves, but we are being sent as we respond to the voice of the shepherd. And he promises to go before us to watch over us, to lead us and guide us and to fight on our behalf, even willing to lay down his life for us. We need not fear the wolves when we know that we are responding to the call of the Good Shepherd. Let's continue looking at our text and more of the instruction Jesus had for the 70. Read with me verses 4 through 8. He says, Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. We'll pause right there. Here we see that not only was the calling a dangerous one, but we also see that this calling would require a great amount of dependence upon the Lord. They weren't to bring their own resources, a money bag, knapsack, sandals, but rather they were to trust and depend upon the Lord to provide for them. They were to trust that as they were faithful to go forward in obedience to the Lord, that the Lord would go before them and prepare the way for them, preparing homes that they would be received in, <coughs> Excuse me, families that would take them in and provide for them as they did the work of the ministry. They weren't to try and look for better options or upgrades Okay, but to be content with what God provided through various people. Whatever house they entered, they were to greet it with a message of peace. That is, they were to share with them the message of peace offered through Jesus Christ. If they received the message of peace, receiving by faith the Prince of Peace, then they were to stay in that home and eat whatever the home was able to and willing to provide. Whatever was set before them, they were to eat it without any questions. Now, this would be interesting for Jews. For they followed some pretty strict dietary laws. Okay? Jesus told them, basically, my paraphrase, hey, don't worry about what they feed you. Just receive what is given to you. You know, eat it with gladness and thanksgiving, being content with what God has provided. And so, hey, you know, it's not you're not gonna be like, hey, this isn't kosher, I can't eat this. You know, it's like, okay, this is what God's provided. I'm gonna be content with this, I'm gonna eat it. Because following the dietary laws and restrictions wasn't as important as the work that God was calling them to. Now, another interesting bit of instruction given to them was that they were not to greet people along the road. We get the idea that there was to be a sense of urgency and determination as they went out. They weren't to waste time with the elaborate Eastern greetings that often involved food and drink and entertainment. They were to stay busy going to where God sent them, not getting distracted along the way. You know, as I look around at the world today and all that is going on, I cannot help but believe we need to have that same sense of urgency. Jesus sent these 70 ahead of him in preparation for his soon arrival, and he wanted to make sure they didn't waste any time while fulfilling their mission. And I think, I think that the same is true for us today. You see, the Lord is coming back. Just as the 70 were sent to prepare the way for the Lord's arrival, we too have been tasked with a mission of preparing the world for Jesus' second coming. Okay, the Lord is coming back, and the time that we have is short. We need to be steadfast in fulfilling the ministry that God has called us to. Because time is short, we need to be diligent about our Father's business, to have that determination that we're preparing the way for His Son. Let's continue. Read with me verses 9 through 11. It says, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, Go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. We'll stop there. As they entered a city, they were to heal the sick. They were to proclaim the message of God's coming kingdom, that the kingdom of God had come near to them. If they came to a city that did not receive them, they were to go out into the city and proclaim the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. The act of wiping off the dust of the city was a cultural and symbolic act of separating themselves from 
the filth of a city traveled through. They didn't even want the dust of that city to stick to them. And so they would wipe off the dust from their sandals as a gesture acknowledging that the city had rejected the offer of peace. Now, I want you to note two things here that are extremely important for us to realize. First of all, I want you to notice that the message did not change. It was the same. The message to both the city that received and the message to the city that did not receive was the same. It was the kingdom of God has come near. Second, I want you to note and understand that the responsibility for people responding to the message was not the responsibility of the 70 who were sent. Their responsibility was to preach the message, to declare the kingdom of God has come near. Whether or not people responded to the message was not their responsibility. Of course, they obviously wanted people to receive the message, and they prayed that they would. But if they didn't, that was not on them. They weren't responsible for making people receive the gospel, but rather simply presenting the gospel. The same is true for us. It isn't our job to get people saved. Hey, that is the work of the Lord and His Holy Spirit convicting the heart. Our responsibility is to simply share the good news with those whom God has sent to us. Whether they receive it or not, that's up to the Lord. And I like how whether the city received or rejected the 70, the message stayed the same. You know, sometimes when when people reject maybe the simplicity of the gospel or are perhaps offended by the gospel, we can sometimes be tempted to, you know, soften the message or to change it slightly, you know, make it more palatable or more desirable for someone that has rejected it or been offended by it. Listen, church family, we will get ourselves into a whole lot of trouble when we start compromising the word of God and start making it more palatable or more agreeable to the world today. Listen, the gospel, it's offensive. You can't get around it. It tells people that they are living their life contrary to how the Lord would have them to live their lives. People don't like to be told how to live their life. Telling people the truth about the kingdom of God means telling people that they are sinners and that they are headed for hell unless they receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ. People aren't going to like that. People are going to be offended by that. We should anticipate that. But listen... I would much rather take the risk of offending someone, telling them the truth of the gospel, than to lie to them and share with them a gospel that isn't true. A gospel that won't save them. A gospel that is contrary to the message that God has given us. We don't need to change the message to make it more palatable or more cultural or more up-to-date, okay? The message is the same. It does not change. You know, how we share it to people in various situations will change, depending upon their knowledge and understanding, okay? If I'm ministering to, you know, someone that's, you know, raised in the Western world, they went to church their whole life, and I'm ministering to that person, I might talk to them a little different than, you know, a Japanese person who has absolutely no context or understanding of what's going on. You know, I may approach it differently, but the message remains the same, okay? God sent his son to this world to save sinners by grace through faith. He calls us to repentance until life surrendered to him and his word. That is the message. Okay? It doesn't change whether people receive it or reject it. The word of God remains true and never 
okay, needs us to come along and change it or modify it or make it more palatable for today's day and age. Well, we need to, you know, modify the gospel for, you know, how people have changed and we need to make it more applicable to them. No. The gospel doesn't change. Whether we receive it or reject it, it's the same. Let's look to these final verses of our text. We'll quickly wrap this up. Read with me verses 12 through 16. It says, But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Here in these final verses, Jesus brings up three cities in the northern region of Galilee that were given the opportunity to see and witness several of the miraculous works Jesus performed during his circuit ministry. Uh, These three cities were Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Because these cities had been given plenty of opportunities to receive the kingdom of God presented through Jesus and yet did not, Jesus says that their judgment will be more severe than the likes of other cities that did not have the same privilege and opportunities as them. Listen, basically what we see here in the example of these different cities is the fact that really there are only two options when it comes to the message of the gospel. Okay? that will lead to two different outcomes. Two options, two outcomes. Either you will receive the message, which will lead to repentance, or you will reject the message, which will lead to judgment. There is no other option. There is no neutrality with Christ. You either are for him or you are against him. Okay? An undecided decision is a decision to reject the message because the invitation's been given. And if you say, well, I'm not really sure yet. I'm undecided. I haven't rejected. No, you have. Because you have not received the message, you therefore have rejected the message. You either receive and repent or you reject and face judgment. Those are the only two options available. And if you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision to receive the Lord and to repent from your sin, then you are in danger of facing judgment for rejecting the Lord. And I would implore you this morning to reconsider your stance, to receive the good news of the gospel and to repent from your sin. Jesus came to this earth some 2,000 years ago and he made a way for you to escape the judgment. But your time is limited. No one knows the day or the hour which will be their last. No one other than the Lord himself knows the day that Jesus Christ will return. And so if you've not done that, I would implore you to do so today. We need to be ready for his coming. We need to be taking advantage of the time that we have left We need to get the message out there that Jesus is coming back and be faithful to the calling and the sending of our Lord. May we be faithful ambassadors to our Lord, praying for more laborers and going wherever the Lord is sending. Amen?
Amen.